might be um, a graduation from school or college or a red letter day might be a, a special event that you and your wife have got planned and you're just counting down the days to that event and uh, it's exciting. And the, the phrase actually um, dates back to its original meaning, uh, meaning um, where it kind of came up over on uh, my side of the pond back in, back in Europe. And in medieval times, uh, a red letter day referred to um, the old church calendars. You see, back in medieval times, um, they didn't have smartphones, so they used to have to use these things, kids called calendars on walls, okay? They were like pieces of paper, um, manuscripts, and uh, up on the wall, they would have all the days of the week, and um, the church, you know, their calendars, they would have specific days that were written out in red. They would be red-letter days. So Sundays on church calendars were, were red-letter days. Um, different um, holidays like Easter and Christmas, and even some saints' days. Different saints' days would be marked on the church calendar as a red-letter day. Now, my kids actually were pretty disappointed this week that that tradition hasn't continued on. Um, Ben and Will were very upset on Monday when they found out they had to go to school on St. Patrick's Day. They're like, Dad, it's a holiday. I'm like, well, it's not really a holiday. And they were really looking forward to a day off, but they had to go to school on St. Patrick's Day. But St. Patrick's Day would have been a red-letter day. Now, one of the red-letter days that we really want to focus in on on this particular series is Easter, Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is a huge event on the church calendar. It's basically why we, we, we are able to meet every Sunday. It's why we are able to, to share this wonderful message that we as Christ followers believe. It's because Jesus, um, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection, You know, Good Friday is a day where we remember the fact that Jesus uh, went to the cross. But Easter Sunday is a day of celebration because that's the day that we remember that Jesus rose again. And we'll be celebrating that day five weeks from today. Five weeks from today, it's Easter. Four weeks from today, it's actually going to stop snowing for good, okay? And then five weeks from today, it will be Easter, okay? Easter will be upon us. So over the next five weeks, we're going to kind of work through together this series called Red Letter Day as we, as we work towards that, that big red letter day that we've circled on our calendars of, of Easter Sunday. And what I want to do to kind of prepare us for Easter is, is each Sunday, as we lead up to Easter Sunday, I want to spend time each week looking at a different phrase that Jesus himself um, said when he was on the cross. You know, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, there are four guys that wrote about him by the names of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read their accounts, you'll find that there are seven different sentences that Jesus said while he was on the cross. Seven that are recorded that we know of that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And, and we're going to look at five of them over the next five weeks. Five different phrases, five different sentences that Jesus said. Three were recorded by Luke, three were recorded by John, and one by Matthew. But we're only going to look at five of them. And this morning... Um, I want to look at um, one in particular to kind of kick it off. And it's, it's one that maybe we're not as familiar with. I think some of these weeks, over the next few weeks, we'll be like, I remember that. I, I'm familiar with that phrase that he said that. But, but some may not be as, as well known. And this morning is one of those. So we're going to um, head into John this morning. We're going to take a look at what John had to say. But before we look at what um, John um, says that Jesus said on the cross... I want to just really kind of set the the stage here because I personally don't believe that Jesus ever said anything unintentionally. 
So when we look at these statements that Jesus made, I think there was thought behind it. I think there was meaning behind it. Unlike me, Jesus thought very carefully about what he said. Unlike me, Jesus said things intentionally. I I don't always do that. Have you ever been in this situation? This happens to me all the time. It's like embarrassing how, how many times it happens. You know when someone says, have a great day, and you say, you too? Well, do you ever get in that thing where they say something to you that's specific to you, and you still respond with, you too? You know, like I'll be leaving on a trip. Have a great flight. Thanks, you too. Oh, no, you're not going anywhere. It's just, but just, you, just you don't, you, you respond. You're like, yeah, you too. And it's like nothing about what they say. Um, sometimes I, I say things that are, that are silly, but I've, I, I've not yet been beaten by a friend of mine. And he doesn't know I'm about to tell this story, so I'll keep him anonymous. But uh, he, like me, has this, um, this habit. I don't know if you, any of you smartphone users use Siri. Uh, the great thing about smartphones now is you can dictate your text messages. So I'm out and about all the time like, hey, John, period. Sorry we couldn't meet today, comma. Uh, are you free tomorrow, question mark. And Siri, like, puts it all out. Like, some of you are giggling now because you do it, don't you? you do, and you, you put in the punctuation, and Siri translates it. And there it is, the comma, the period, the, the question mark. Well, I've got a friend who, um, who does this so often that he actually called someone once to leave a voicemail. And this is the voicemail he left. Hey, John, period. Sorry, uh, sorry I missed your call. Can you call me later, question mark? So this guy, John, is like, wow, that's a very in-depth message with like punctuation and everything. Thank you very much. So so sometimes we say things, don't we? And and I'll just walk away thinking, why did I say that? What was I thinking there? But I don't think that's the case with Jesus. I really believe that when Jesus said something and we see it recorded in those accounts of his life, there was intentionality to what he said. Over and above that, I happen to believe as well that that this book we have, the the Bible, this collection of letters and writings from dozens of different authors over a a span of a thousand years that has been brought together to make up what we now know of today as, as the Bible. I don't believe that God could allow something to be in there that shouldn't be in there. So I think when we read some of these phrases, not only was Jesus very intentional about what he said, I believe that God was very intentional about making sure that that was recorded in the Bible. So as we look at these five phrases that Jesus uttered from the cross, I want to kind of set that as a foundation that every one of these phrases that he shared had purpose behind it. And it's important to understand that this morning, because like I say, this morning's one is maybe one of the more obscure things that he said while he was on the cross. But we'll, we'll go there now. We'll take a look at it together. It's um, in John chapter 19 and verses 28 to 29. Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. I got thirsty just reading that. Now, it's important this morning to understand the context of what Jesus has just said, and more importantly, what has just happened as they lifted that sponge to his lips. And I love that we're going to be able to go through this series because each week it's going to kind of prepare us more and more. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying that as we come to Easter this year, that as we hit Good Friday before we get to Easter Sunday, some of these phrases will come back to you and you'll realize what Jesus went through on the cross. But at that point, he was, he was crying out that he was thirsty. 
But the reason it's important to understand what's taking place here is you need to understand that for thousands of years, the Jewish people, they've been waiting the Messiah. So for thousands of years prior to Jesus' birth, in fact, since the beginning of creation, really, the Jewish people, God's people, they've been looking out for this, this man that would one day come that they knew as, as the Messiah. The Messiah was going to set them free. The Messiah was going to come and save them. And throughout their writings, and you can read this in the Old Testament, you hear reference to this coming Messiah. You hear people in the Psalms. You hear people in in Genesis and Exodus and and the, the oldest parts of the Bible talking about this coming Messiah. They were looking with hope for his coming. We talked a little bit about that if you were with us before Christmas. We were some of the, the carols that we were talking, looking back at these, these, these wonderful times where they were looking ahead to the birth of that Messiah. So throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament will be the portion of Scripture that we have that was written prior to the birth of Jesus. Throughout all of those writings, you will find what's called messianic prophecies. Messianic prophecies. So these would be statements that were written down that the Jews would kind of pin their hopes on and say, you know what, that's, that's a little bit of proof there. That's a little bit of something to know what to look out for when the Messiah comes. Some of these verses would talk about where the Messiah would be born. Some talked about what would happen during his life. Some talked about the, the descendant that he would come from. Others talked about his death. And scholars will um, argue backwards and forwards as to how many specific prophecies there were with regards to the Messiah. Some think maybe up to 300 different verses throughout the, the Old Testament portion of the Bible points towards the Messiah. But all of them agree on about 40 or 50 very key specific verses that point to the Messiah. And did you know that out of those 40 or 50 specific verses that talk about where the Messiah will be born, what will happen during his life, where he will die, like almost 20 of those prophecies, almost 20 specific messianic prophecies refer to how he will die and what will happen surrounding the death of the Messiah. So, you know, to me personally, that amazes me. Because some would say that, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. Maybe he just kind of made sure he was in the right place at the right time. to fulfill. He knew the prophecy so well that he just fulfilled them because he knew what they were. So he made sure that he was in the... But when it comes down to your own death, to be able to manipulate things to fulfill prophecies, and yet every one of these prophecies Jesus fulfilled. So if Jesus really was the Messiah... As we hear this, as, as many of us here this morning believe, if he really was the Messiah, then one of two conclusions have to be drawn. Either this guy was the Messiah, the Son of God, or he was a madman because he claimed to be the Messiah. And I want to share a little video clip here this morning that just kind of illustrates that even more. So check out the words of uh, this theologian that some of you may recognize. So that was a gentleman by the name of Bono from a little band called U2, where uh, I'm from. And, um, you know, I, I, I chuckled there as I was watching it because he said, you know, sometimes as a family, we'll go to church at the end just for peace and quiet. You're welcome to come here to connect any week at the end. Uh, there'll be no peace and quiet. You'll be moving chairs and uh, helping us tear everything down. But come along at the end. We'd love to see you. But um, we'd encourage you to come along at the beginning as well. So, but, you know, he, he kind of hammers home there in, in that uh, short clip there, just the same thing that I was sharing, that, that either 
Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah or he was crazy. And right here, this is why it's so crucial that this particular um, section we look at this morning, this particular verse we look at this morning where he said, I am thirsty. Because when he said, I am thirsty, something incredible happened. They reached down into a bowl and they put up to his lips some of this, this sour wine, this sour vinegar. And in that instance, another messianic prophecy came to pass. Listen to what a psalm writer wrote over a thousand years ago when talking about the coming Messiah. In Psalm 69, verse 21, it said, But instead, they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. In that moment, when they offered him that sour wine, that vinegar, that was another one of these many messianic prophecies. And that's why, you know, when we read that verse earlier, it was so important what it said. It said that Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. Not just saying that, but to fulfill the scriptures, he brought into to being this, this prophecy. And it came to pass right there on the cross. Now, I can't imagine how thirsty Jesus was at that point. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Like, just, like, not just like, mm, I could do with a drink, like, really thirsty. This, uh, I have, just this last week, it happened to me. I, uh, I since uh, the new year, I've had a little bit of a New Year's resolution to, to get back in the gym and uh, have been going on a somewhat regular basis. I've got a friend here at church who's uh, helping keep me accountable. He sent me a text early on in the year, just reminding me that uh, Lake, Baptist, Lake Baptism season would be here soon, so you should get back in the gym. And uh, so that was all the motivation I needed. So uh, I've been in there uh, on a regular basis. And this last Monday, I had to see that friend of mine in the gym. And uh, my routine on a, a normal morning in the gym is I go, I've got my shorts, my t-shirt, my um, smartphone, my headphones, and I sit on the exercise bike and, you know, I watch a show or I'll just, you know, it's, uh, it's some time to just kind of catch up, do some reading maybe, and then and pedal away. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm feeling good here. I'm working out. And uh, so I saw this buddy of mine and he's like, oh, are you here to uh, do RPM? I said, no. I said, I was going to ride the bike. I said, I should come join me. I'm doing the RPM class. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done RPM before this last Monday. Now, I'm thinking, well, I was going to ride the bike anyway. I'll just ride that bike with him. And in I walked to what may as well have been Guantanamo Bay, the way I was treated for the next hour. Because I get on this bike, and there is this awful woman with an iPod that, I'm sorry, she's, she's a lovely lady, but for that 45 minutes, I wasn't too fond of her because she had an iPod without any slow music at all. I think I, I was going to lend her some songs afterwards because every one of her songs was like upbeat techno, like boo, boo, boo. And she's like, come on, let's go. And we're like pedaling away on these bikes, you know, and now we're climbing a hill. Everyone stand up and, you know, everyone's around the room. They're all standing and like, this just seems like it's never going to end. Well, then I start looking around and you know what? Everyone's bought bottles of water. She's like, take a break, have some water. Guess what I didn't have with me? <laughs> absolutely a bottle of water. But you know what? There was absolutely no way with all this. I mean, you all look at each other. There's, there's no, you know, hiding here, no sneaking out the door. Everyone would have seen. So I was in it for the long haul, 40 minutes straight. Didn't get anywhere, but I felt like I'd cycled a, a thousand miles. And I was like, as the, the, the time went on, I'm getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. It was a nightmare. 
And I got out and I had a bottle of water in the car and I, and I drank it down. But the reality is, whether it's a workout or a hot summer's day or whatever it is, I don't think any of us have probably experienced the thirst that Jesus at that point felt while he was on the cross. And yet, go with me here this morning if you would, because I've been thinking about this and praying about this. And I'm thinking, well, other than the scripture, why would Jesus say, I'm thirsty? There were a lot of things that Jesus could have said on that cross. He just had nails driven through his, his wrists and his feet. Why didn't he say, I'm in pain, I'm hurting? You know, he'd just been whipped and had to carry this big wooden beam through the streets and, and then hang there on the cross. But you never read of him saying, I'm just tired, I'm exhausted. But he did say, I'm thirsty. And as I was thinking about this and praying about this, obviously the, the scripture was fulfilled as they, as they gave him that, that wine, that kind of sour wine to drink. But I just wonder if there was something else there. And again, this is Dave Jane just speculating here. But when he said, I am thirsty, it, it reminded me of another time that we know of in Jesus' life when he was thirsty. There's actually another story earlier on in his life where, where Jesus stopped to take a drink. And we're going to read that story here this morning and talk a little bit about that story and how I think what Jesus said on the cross can actually impact our lives still today. That story is found in um, the account of Jesus' life, the book of John and chapter 4. And it's his encounter with a Samaritan woman. And it's quite a long stretch of uh, scripture that I want to read you here this morning. So if you just wouldn't mind just hanging in with me, because I'd love you to hear the whole story. For some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this story this morning. So, so listen as I read along this encounter that Jesus had with this lady. It says in verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the fields that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So we find Jesus here on this hot day, the hottest part of the day, sat by a well because he's thirsty. He's stopping there to get a drink. Now, you need to understand that as a Jew, this wouldn't be a route they would normally take. They would actually go the long way around to avoid Samaria because Jews and Samaritans just didn't mix well. Jews actually looked down their noses at Samaritans. They were like a, a lower class of people, so much so that Jews would go the long way around to even avoid coming in contact with a Samaritan. So already, Jesus is breaking the status quo as a Jew here. He's going right through the middle of Samaria. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. What, what would you get? Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty. He's talking about the water in the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus says, go and get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Do you know, this always amazes me about Jesus, because I think somehow, and, and we, we don't realize this sometimes in the culture we live, and, and sometimes as, as Christians, we get this wrong, because Jesus is obviously sharing with her, yeah, I know. I know about your life. I know about the five husbands you've had. I know about the one you're with right now. I know he's not your husband. But I don't pick up any kind of condemnation here. I don't pick up any kind of shame in this woman. I think Jesus just somehow was able to share truth, but just share it with love and grace. And sometimes I think we as the church, we've, we've jumped on the truth part, but we forget that somehow Jesus was able to communicate this and yet still build trust and build friendship with these people and reach out and show love and grace to these people. So the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at, the Mount, at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Now Jesus starts to reveal here something of what's to come. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus is basically saying to her, listen, because of what's going to take place with me on that cross, the time is coming where all will be able to worship. That's why I'm here. I'm here to bridge that gap. I'm here um, to die, to give my life, but to be raised again on that Easter Sunday so that that gap that causes you not to be able to worship God, that will be filled. And because of what I'm about to do, all will be able to worship. Jews, Samaritans, um, Americans, Europeans, whoever we are, will have the opportunity to worship God together. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, so she knew, she'd heard the talk. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then right there by that well, Jesus drops that bombshell. He says, I am the Messiah. Jesus reveals to her right there, listen, I am the one you've heard of. I'm the one they're talking about. I can quench your thirst like this water will never, ever do. You know, I'm always amazed when I read the the stories of Jesus because things like this always seem to happen to him. There's like a pattern that develops in his life. It always seems that most of the key events in Jesus' life happened when he was on his way somewhere else. 
He, he, was, he was headed somewhere and he came across a guy whose daughter was sick. He was, he was headed this place and he came across a centurion whose servant was ill. He was heading to this place and on the way through in Samaria, he meets this woman by the well. But that's what I love about Jesus. He never just bypassed these people because he was on a mission. He had such love, such compassion for everyone he met, that anyone he met, whether they were the people he was headed to meet or just someone he encountered along the way, he wanted to give himself to them. He wanted to, to meet them where they're at. He wanted to show them the love that he has for every one of us. Meet physical needs of healing. Meet, meet spiritual and emotional needs as he was talking to this woman. His compassion and his love drove him to do this. He couldn't pass an opportunity to help someone that was in need. And in this particular story, as we look at this lady at the well, we discover there are two very key characters. Someone who is needy and someone who is needed. There was someone in this story here that was needy. We know that she was, she'd been married five times, that the guy she was with right now isn't her husband. We don't know a lot about her, but I think it's probably safe to assume that there's some relational conflict in her life, that she's searching for some meaning, maybe searching for some love. And um, really, it doesn't take too much um, speculation to think that maybe this lady's life wasn't exactly where she wanted it to be. This was a lady who at this point in her life was in need. And then you have someone else, Jesus, in this situation who was needed. He knew at that time he was needed. So he wanted to share with this woman about the water that he could give that would cause her never to thirst again. He's explaining that she can find in, in, in him something that would quench her thirst forever. There are many here this morning, you know, who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And they themselves have found that to be true. That in following Jesus, we've discovered that it's, it's like our thirst has been quenched forever. We find something in Jesus that, that just it literally quenches our thirst. We can um, completely relate to the psalm writer who wrote in Psalms 42 verse 1. Um, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. Maybe you've heard it read as the deer pants for the water. And whenever I read that particular line there, I picture that psalm writer. Maybe he was a shepherd. Maybe he was sat by a river at the time and he was just watching a deer. Maybe it was a hot summer's day and, and he can see that that deer is panting by the side of the water, just, just desperate for a drink. And as he watched that deer, he thought, you know, that's how I feel about God. When I'm in the presence of God, I'm, I'm like that deer thirsty for all that God can give me in my life. And there are many of us here this morning would find ourselves in that place saying, that, that's where I am. I came to a point in my life where, where I was thirsty, I was searching, and, and I'd tried to quench my thirst with, with this, that, and the other. But I found it in Jesus. I found it in Jesus. It, it, it quenched my thirst like nothing else ever has done. And you know the awesome thing about when that happens, when, you, when you're thirsty and you discover that and, and you discover that Jesus fills you up and he quenches your thirst, what often happens, the, the water that Jesus gives, the water he spoke about in this story, it fills us almost to overflowing. There comes a point in your life where, where Jesus fills you so much that you just, you can't help but let it splash out on others around you. It bubbles up and it, and it flows out of you into, into your life throughout the week, into other people's lives. 
You know, I, I've seen that happen here at Connect. It's, it's such a thrill for Casey and I. You know, we, on a regular basis, probably once a week, we sit down and go, can you believe this? Can you believe this? Because we had um, an idea a year or so ago when we were going to start Connect Church of what we would see happen. But still, every day, something happens that, that blows our ideas of what we expected. And, and we'll meet a family who, maybe six months or a year ago, they weren't even going to church weren't even in a relationship with Jesus, and now here they are. A, a few weeks ago, we had a baptism service, and, and there were several people who actually got baptized who, who just a short time ago were not even um, in a church on a Sunday morning, and are now following Jesus, and he's changed their lives. And then on top of that, we meet other people who, who not only have they discovered Jesus, but like I just said, he's, he's filled them so much that it's, it's now bubbling out of them. I actually had a note recently from uh, a young person, this person sent me a note. They, they've just been coming to Connect for a short amount of time. And um, they sent me this note. And I want to read you this because it illustrates so clearly how, you know, when, when you're so full of Jesus, when he makes that difference in your life, you can't help but just want to do something about it. Uh, this person says, since I started going to church, I've seen that Christ is everywhere. He does wonderful things for everybody. He loves everybody. It's amazing. I want to know if there is any possible or if there's any way possible that I could get more involved in Connect. Whether it's helping set up before church, tearing down after, it doesn't matter. I really want to do um, whatever I can. And whatever else there is to do for the church, rather than just showing up every Sunday. I want God to be a big rock. And I feel like I just need someone to lead me in the right direction to do so. And you are the one I'm asking uh, for help from. If there is anything I could do, please get back with me. I'd love to do anything. It's time for me to change for the better and start giving back to the community that has given me everything I have ever wanted. Thank you. Isn't that a great story? As I'm reading that, I'm like, that is awesome. I love reading that. I loved connecting with that person, saying, listen, you've got no idea how much it means to me to see that what Jesus is doing in you isn't just impacting you individually. It's, it's kind of filling you up. So now it's like bubbling out, and you want to do something about it. You want to give back. And we've got to see that happen time and time again in different people's lives, that as they filled up, it flows out into other people. You see, I actually believe that as well as a physical thirst that Jesus had on the cross that day. I think he was saying, I am thirsty because he'd allowed every drop of himself in that instance to be poured out for every one of us. For you, for me, for all the people alive at that time and all the people that have lived since. Jesus said, I'm thirsty because he gave everything he had. He allowed himself to be poured out. So this morning, I would like to ask the question to every one of us here, are we needy or are we needed? Are you needy here this morning or needed? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that one of those is right and one's wrong. We, we find ourselves at different points in our lives in one or two of those situations. You may be here this morning and you, you love Jesus, but you, you're like, Dave, I, I feel this morning like I'm needy. I need some, some, um, some, more, um, some more of Jesus in my life. I'm thirsty. It's been a rough week. I've been through some difficult times. There's stuff going on and, and, and I feel like I'm needy here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never made a decision to, to follow Jesus. And, and you're here and you're listening to me speak. And, and you're very aware of the fact that you've tried to quench your thirst in many different areas. But like the lady at the well here, you're realizing that Jesus is saying, Hey, listen, I can quench your thirst like nothing else. Case gives me a hard time all the time because it'll be the middle of the summer. It'll be like 
Illinois, 150 degrees, summer day, and it's like humid and hot, and we're out and about all day with the kids, and I'm like, I'm so thirsty, I've got to go and get a drink, and I'll run into a gas station, a restaurant, I'll come out, and I've got one of those like super-sized buckets of Coke, and uh, she's like, Dave, that's not going to help. If you're really thirsty, you've got to drink water. I'm like, Case, this is water. With some sugar and some corn syrup. But it's, there's still water in it. But she's right. I guzzle that whole thing down. And you know what? I'm still thirsty. I'm more thirsty than I was before. And 10 pounds heavier. So um, <laughs> she's right. You know, if you really want to quench your thirst, it, you, water is the best thing. But in our lives, we try and quench our spiritual thirst. We try and quench that need in our life with so many different things. Thinking, well, this will quench my thirst. And it doesn't. And Jesus is saying here, I can quench your thirst like no other. I have living water. And you may be feeling empty this morning. You've looked in all the wrong places. I want to tell you that I believe only Jesus will suffice. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not empty. Maybe you're here this morning and you're full. Well, let me tell you, you're needed. If you are full this morning, if you came in and when we were singing those songs, your eyes were closed and you had your hands up and you're worshiping because you just were feeling great and, and God's moving in your life right now and you're just feeling really good, then, then I want to challenge you. You have a responsibility this week. Will you live your life in, in such a way that Jesus can flow out of you into others? To someone this week, you may find that you're needed. We know that the woman at the well had been through five husbands. She was searching. She was in need. And at that point, Jesus saw that need and met that need in who he was. He engaged with her against all cultural norms. He talked to her and he showed love and compassion for her. You know, I'm going to close out uh, with this story. And then the band are going to come up after that. And we're going to sing one more song here to close out this morning. But... um, One of the other, and I'm going to keep boasting about stuff like this all the time because it just is so exciting. One of the other exciting things about seeing um, people come into Connect Church who are new, uh, there's another thrill that Case and I get, and that's that we see people we know uh, really well and see them growing in their relationship with God and developing. And we see people who, as Jesus fills them up, we see him, him using them more to impact others. So... I want to share a little example of, of exactly that situation. We, um, just a few weeks back, maybe three or four weeks ago, the Orange Connect cards that Chris talked about earlier, and, and we do love it when you guys fill those in because it helps us get to know you better. It helps us keep you um, aware of what's going on in Connect. If there's events coming up, that kind of thing, we can email you and tell you about it. And we promise we won't keep like bombarding you with emails. But um, one of the spots on that card is for prayer requests. And you're able to, to fill that in and write down and say, could you pray for me for this? And, and I want you to know that we do. We pray. We have many people who kind of make up a prayer team here at Connect Church. And if you're newer to Connect and you love to pray and, and you'd like to know about what it means to get onto that prayer team, just let me know and we'll, we'll connect you and we'll add you to that list. And, and when we see um, prayer requests on those prayer cards, we send those out to that prayer team. And we pray regularly for people's needs on those cards. And many people pray regularly. And, and a few weeks back, one of the needs that was written on the card was by a young lady. She was in her 20s. And she said, could you pray for me? She said, right now, I'm, I have cancer. I'm battling cancer. And um, I'm currently in the hospital for two or three days every week going through chemotherapy. And it's just really, really hard. And uh, one of the hardest parts is that I'm just there by myself. My mom's here and, and she comes, but it's kind of lonely there. And One of the people on our prayer team saw that and they said, you know, we're going to pray, but let's see if we can get some people who would just go and and visit this lady. 
So she started to work. She's one of our leaders here at the church. She started to work, and, and she said, would that be all right? I said, absolutely, definitely. I'll, I'll go. I'll be one of the people. But yeah, get some volunteers. So, so about 24 hours passes, and she calls me back, and she says, okay, Dave, I've got some people, and um, the first one I've got to go is my daughter, my, my college-age daughter, and she's going to go tomorrow with her friend. I'm like, really? Now, don't get me wrong. I love her, her college-age daughter. She's fantastic. But I was just really surprised because I wouldn't have pictured her as being somebody who would want to go along to a hospital to visit someone like that. But she said, yeah, she really wants to go. Well, I went later in the week, and um, I met with this lady, and you know, she's there going through this, this really difficult treatments, and I got to sit and visit with her for a while and just kind of tell her a little bit more about Connect Church. I got to pray with her. But in the course of the discussion, I was talking to her, and she started to tell me about the visit she'd had just a couple of days before from this, this young adult and her friends, and just how much fun it was to just sit there and chat and just to, to have these people. She said, oh, they were there for like nearly two hours. I'm like, nearly two hours? She goes, yeah, they just came, and we talked, and we laughed, and and as she's telling me this, I'm sat there in that hostel room, and, and I'm just thinking two things. Number one, I'm so thrilled that this lady, you know, who's going through a tough time, um, who at this point is needy, had someone to go and share with her, someone to sit with her and talk with her and just visit with her and just kind of make things a little bit normal during this difficult time. But I'm also sitting there because I know who it is, thinking, I'm so thrilled that this wonderful young lady has stepped up to do this that this daughter and her friend are doing this. Because six months ago, I wouldn't have, have pictured that. But I just see Jesus moving in her life to where now she says, I, I want to give back. I want to do something. And that's my challenge to us all here this morning. You know, I, as I said, I, I may be stretching it a little bit when Jesus said, I thirst. I mean, I think he was thirsty. But because he never said anything unintentionally, I just wonder if, as he said it, it was triggering in the minds of those who were around him. It was triggering in our minds as we, as we know the scriptures. You know, there was another time when he was thirsty. And in fact, not just that, but during that time, he talked about the fact that he was living water. That he could quench a thirst that nothing else could. That you could drink and be thirsty again, but a relationship with Jesus, you'll never be thirsty again. And I just wonder when he said, I'm thirsty, it was to kind of remind us of that responsibility that we can look to him in our times of need, but we can also be him to those around us in their times of need. So I hope that challenges you here this morning, whether you are needy or needed, to be able to um, do something with that this week. But what I want to do is, I, I love that song we sang, that second song. It was a new one, and I surprised the band here before I came. I was like, can we sing that again? That was a really good song. So uh, is that good? Is that the song we're doing? Good. Okay, cool. So um, maybe you are here this morning, and you're needy. Like I said, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes we've got to just turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so thirsty. I'm empty right now. I just need some more of you in my life. And before we leave this morning, I want to give you an opportunity just as we sing. And that's kind of what we do during worship. It's our time to just fill up on Jesus. Say, God, I want to... I want to go out this week ready for whatever comes this way. So I'll turn to the band now. Let, let me pray, and then I'll turn to you. So God, I want to thank you that you allowed Jesus to die in our place. And as we're going to discover over the next five weeks, Lord, I don't think that anything that Jesus said on the cross was unintentional. That it was a statement that was true for that moment, but there was truth and meaning in those statements that can still apply to our lives today, can still help us in the way we live our lives today. Some of us here this morning, Lord, we are thirsty, Lord. 
And we come to you, Lord, and, and as we sing this song, Lord, I think you're going to fill us up. And I pray this week that as we leave full of you, that we would do something with that, Lord, that we would splash out and impact the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.